I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. I haven't met everyone who's ever lived, but I can say that everyone I've ever known has experienced loneliness and doubt. Those feelings are natural and a part of being human. But when laws are introduced to restrict or ban your sense of identity, then that feeling of isolation only grows. Fortunately, the time-tested solution to loneliness is, you guessed it, community. Seeking out, finding, or being introduced to people who will accept you with open arms is a balm for the spirit. And that is what some folks from our LGBTQ community are doing right here in Tennessee. Who are those folks? What are their groups about? Why did they decide to create a hub for human connections? Later this hour, we'll talk with them about LGBTQ support groups. But first, it's time for Add Us. That's right. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. Yes, you know the deal. I am encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at This Is Nashville and on Instagram at This Is Nashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. It's always good to be back in the studio with you. You know, it's good to have you back. Now, before we get to the feedback, it is, well, it's a pretty big day in Tennessee, right? I mean, you could say that. Mm -hmm. So three of our Democratic representatives are facing expulsion today. This came after they joined protesters at the Capitol last week demanding gun reform after last Monday's mass shooting. We had two of them on our show yesterday, Representative Gloria Johnson of Knoxville and Representative Justin Pearson of Memphis. Looking back, Listen back if you've missed that interview. Plus, you know, Anna did a really great write-up from that interview that you can read at thisisnashville.org. So there is an expulsion hearing for these representatives later today. But since early this morning, the legislature has actually been discussing bills that have been proposed in response to last week's shooting. One of them is a Republican legislative package to beef up school security. That, among other things, would mandate more school resource officers and building upgrades for schools. And earlier today, Nashville Democrat Justin Jones criticized that measure. This bill seems to be a band-aid. It seems to be a white flag of surrender when what we need to make our young people safe is a deep surgery of our system that places firearms above the lives of our children. Also worth noting that they cut off his mic after this because his five-minute time limit was actually up. Mm. Now, we, we've got WPLN reporters at, at the Capitol today, Blaze Ganey, Alexis Marshall, and Caroline Eggers. They're covering their proceedings and the large turnout of community members in the gallery and outside of the building today. There are at least 250 people in the gallery alone. Yeah, and it's actually quite a sight to see. And we're all bracing for the rest of this day with the expulsion hearing. Um, and you can follow our live update coverage at WPLN.org. And tune in tomorrow at noon, and we'll have a recap of what goes on. Yes, we will. All right, Anna. Aside from this unprecedented turn of events at our state's capital, what are our listeners talking about this week? Well, emotions are still raw after last Monday's Covenant school shooting. We did have a few people reach out after last Thursday's episode on the community response. Over on Instagram, a listener who goes by Eartha Kitsch wrote to us saying, quote, Thank you. I really needed this show today. 
Tennessee is a tough place to live these days if you're someone with a compassionate, empathetic heart. There is just so much weighing heavy at once, and it's hard to heal when you feel ripped apart in so many places at the same time. End quote. Mm-hmm. And we also heard from Elizabeth on Twitter who said, quote, my mother, part of the Woodmont Christian family where Evelyn Deakhouse went, said to me Monday night, I'm going to pray that there will be an awakening of common sense. I feel this conversation is doing the work of that awakening, end quote. Thank you for that, Elizabeth. You know, grief has no timeline, but it's good to know that Nashville is starting to heal. Indeed. Speaking of healing, one community has faced more backlash and discrimination since the shooting has been our LGBTQ community. Right. Because of the lead shooter's identity, our trans community especially has has had to deal with even more than they've already had to. In the mix of all this, we inadvertently made matters a bit worse on Monday. We brought listeners an update on Tennessee's proposed ban on drag shows with drag queen and advocate Veronica Electronica and asked her on air if the news around the shooting had affected plans to protest the anti-drag legislation. So we had a bit of a mix-up behind the scenes. And long story short, Veronica had requested not to be asked about this on air. We apologized on Tuesday's show, but I wanted to apologize again, personally. The line of questioning was insensitive, and we talked about it behind the scenes on how to avoid this in the future. If you listen to our show, you know we're big on holding ourselves accountable to you all, our community. That's what we do, and that's what we did here. If you ever feel like we've gotten it wrong, just reach out. We are not perfect. No one is. But more importantly, we are willing to own that fact and make a change to our language, our process as needed to fix our mistakes and learn from them. So we want to thank you all for helping to hold us accountable. All right. Anna, what else do we have we heard from our listeners? Well, during that conversation about the drag bill, um, Greet812 on Twitter asked, how would this law affect local theater and opera that frequently have roles that swap gender? And you know what? That is a really good question, but we don't have an answer now because it's up for a judge to decide. But there is an update to this drag bill. The injunction has actually been extended. So the earliest that the bill can go into effect now is May 26th. Yes. And we are keeping up with updates on that bill on a lighter note. During Friday's episode about Nashville's hip hop scene, listener Jay gave a shout out to New Life Records, which he says was, quote, the premier urban record store in Nashville back in the day, end quote. That's definitely a throwback for longtime Nashvillians. But also on the topic of hip hop, on Twitter, Backyard B wrote, y'all please don't sleep on my hometown, Memphis. And yes, Memphis did give us Grammy Award winner 3-6 Mafia, but hey, that's an episode for This is Memphis. Right, Right, exactly. (laughs) This is Memphis can hold it down as best they wish. That is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos Cannon. Thanks for this roundup, Anna, and we'll see you soon. Of course, and our listeners know where to find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey to let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. Listen, it's super easy and quick, and it helps us produce shows with your needs and your interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet some of the people who have been creating community for LGBTQ people in our city. Do you identify as LGBTQ? Are you looking for a community? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back.
I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When people are othered, it is an isolating feeling, and many of our LGBTQ community have faced othering their entire lives. In some cases, they are estranged from their own families, friends, and hometowns. This makes finding community vital. Here in Nashville, support groups have emerged to help and we'll meet some of the organizers later in the hour. But to get a sense of what life was like for people in the LGBTQ community before many of these groups came to be, I'd like to introduce my next guest. John Bridges is a writer who has been who has seen the gathering spaces for LGBTQ folks in our town change over the years, and he joins us now. John, thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank to this you for is having Nashville. me. Good to be with you. So you know you've lived in the Nashville area for some time now. Take us take us back to the '80s and describe what it was like here for LGBTQ folks. Well, I could take you back to the late '70s. Here. All right, uh, the gay community here it wasn't really a community. But there were bars, and that's where people gathered. Mostly. Oh, it's completely where we gathered. Where else did we have to go? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was where we gathered. It's where our community was. It just was. And uh, in the 80s, gradually, AIDS hit us. And that really brought us together as a community. It was a terrible thing, but it was a good thing for us as a community. Mm -hmm. It brought us together. And then... uh, Gradually, toward the end of the 80s, uh, well, I started an event called Art Rages. It was a fundraiser for Nashville Cares, and it was a good thing. It brought the whole community, it brought the whole city together in a way. Uh, And then in the 90s, the city was more welcoming to us. But we still didn't have a community as such, except for those of us who chose to get together. We tried to have a community center a couple of times. It really didn't work for us. And then it really never has happened for it really hasn't worked for us. And then in the 2000s, things got a little better. You know, the laws changed and all that stuff. And then... uh, then, of course, you know, I, I was afraid when uh, same-sex marriage passed, I said, you know, we better look out because somebody will take it away. And there we are now. Mm. But uh, it's a sense of community. We didn't have any organizations like these organizations going to be people you're going to be talking to later. Okay, so when we talk about some of the bars and the areas that people hung out with, hung out in in the late 70s, 80s, throughout the 90s, did those places cater to gay men only or was it? Open oh, to everyone. Those, are, those are basically men places, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, even back in the 50s and the 60s, there was Juanita's in the jungles down on Commerce Street. And uh, and those were basically all men places. Women could go, but why would they, you know? Mm. Uh, and women, I believe, I'm not a woman, I don't know, but uh, I believe that women tended to gather in their homes and such. And they were basically all white places, too. Mm-hmm. And I understand that black people got together in home parties and that kind of thing, too. So they had communities wherever they could get them. But, uh, oh, yeah, they were all man places. Oh, well, not exclusively. Nobody's going to stop a woman at the door. Yeah. But uh, why would a woman? But, of course, places like the warehouse over in Franklin Road, it was a major dance bar. Straight people, everybody went there because where else were they going to go to dance? 
-hmm. it became a sort of center of community for the entire city in a way. Okay. And, you know, dancing is a great way for people to find folks with similar interests. My next guest knows this all too well. Amo Elizabeth is the host of the dance event Dress Code, and Forrest Douglas is the coordinator of Color Query, a bi-weekly art party. Forrest, Amo, thanks for being with us today. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much. I'm Hi. excited to be here. Really great. Thanks to, for having us. Great to have you both. So, Amo, you've been a part of the LGBTQ dancing and nightlife scene in New York and Los Angeles. Tell us about Dress Code. What can people expect when they show up? Well, Dress Code plays homage to the club kid scene that was um, really revitalized in New York um, within the last decade. Obviously, the club kids originally um, kind of made their mark on the city in um, the early 90s. What we hoped to accomplish with Dress Code was creating a space similar to the ones founded by the club kids here in Nashville that was accepting of both LGBTQ and BIPOC individuals. And um, we've we've had a lot of success with the party so far. We're very proud of what we've made. Now, did you see that there was a lack of spaces here for LGBTQ folks to just cut loose and have a good time? Um, to the point that was made earlier, I think that there are a lot of spaces for gay men here in Nashville. I don't think there are a lot of spaces for specifically queer people. Um, for listeners who aren't familiar with the delineation between the two um, communities, you can be gay and be queer. Um, being queer is as much a gender and sexual identity as it is a lifestyle. Um, we wanted to make a space specifically for the queer community where people could come and celebrate themselves, um, their lives and their art. Now, Forrest, tell us why you created Color Query. Yeah, it was truly in a response to um, my loneliness and desire for that idea of chosen family that's so popular in the LGBT community. And I was kind of frustrated by not being able to connect with the community, it felt like. So I thought the best piece of advice was to start the club you wanted to join. So mm. I hit the ground running for two months, going out to bars, making every friend I could, adding them on Instagram, and then invited them to an art party. And then we all had such a good time, it became a regular thing. The kind of pitch I give everybody is that Color Query is a space and opportunity for LGBT and queer people queer people to hang out and make art and make friends, you know, mm. um, that idea of a safe space being the most important part. Now, you know, a lot of people are experiencing a high level of stress, be it pandemic related or because of these new laws that target the queer community. Mm -hmm. How can how can art help folks, you know, work through these feelings of stress and worry? It's honestly a healing space where not only we can have conversations with our community while we're there, but we can also step back and just heal for a second. Um, I would say that Color Query, we're not always focusing on all the bad that's around us. We're honestly just connecting and enjoying each other's time while we have it. Um, it's really rare, I feel like, in some cities to have the opportunity to get this many people together and to work on community projects together. You know, we were talking about the queer history of Nashville. And I think that Color Query is just a small little piece of that too. Um, the artwork that we're making has hundreds of LGBT people in Nashville's hands on it. And it's really important. So I think that's what we mostly focus on for the healing is the work that we're doing and the fact that we're doing it together. Mm. Amo, do you, would you say that dance can be healing as well? 
Yeah, I think so. I think more so than the action of dancing, what our space provides is just community, much like the space that Forest has created. We um, we celebrate um, dancing, um, obviously, but um, much like the club kids of the 90s, our space is more so dedicated to creating an a space where people can come and, and dress in unique or eclectic outfits that really showcase who they are. And that was the that was the goal of, of dress code. High fashion it's is on deck. It's very expressive as someone who's been to every single dress code event. Um, the fun is in the outfit. It's a great way to express yourself in a way that's larger than life. And you can tell that everyone puts so much dedication and literally tens of hours into their outfits. It's mm. an amazing event. Mm-hmm. Now, now, John, you mentioned earlier that nightclubs are gathering places. They were became gathering places out of necessity. Did you... Did you think that as a way to process identity as well? Well, tell me what you mean by processing my identity. You know, was it a place where you all were gathering there for, because it was the only place publicly that you could be? Well, it wasn't all that public, of course, Hmm. but uh, it was... The word got around that there were places to go, and that's where you would gather. It's where you met your friends. They're still my friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, the ones that aren't dead, they're my friends to this day. And uh, it was a gathering. And then from that, uh, you would real friendship related, real friendship related relationships gathered. People would go to parties, actual parties back then. Every weekend there were parties. And uh, and you'd go to dinner with people that you met at the bar. The bar was where you met people. The bar was the meeting place, and then you went and took that connection yeah, exactly. out we into moved other out. areas you did, you of your lives. You didn't. You weren't out having dinner with people. Oh, let's go to the bar. You would go to the bar, and then you'd end up having dinner with people. Spe- later. Speaking about dinner, tell me about the World's End Restaurant. Oh, I, gosh. I understand that that was a significant place back oh. in the day. What made it unique? Well, it really was our community center back then. Mm-hmm. It was on. Uh, Church Street, uh, and it was a really fine restaurant. Not a fine restaurant, but a good restaurant. Uh, they had burgers all the time. You had all these burgers. You'd choose your burger. And it was run by a gay guy and the rest of his family. And uh, so gay guys. And, and this was the one place where men and women could go there. And it was a little multiracial, too, just a little. And uh, And we'd gather there late at night before you were going to the bar. Okay. But I I worked at the Tennessee and I'd file my reviews and I'd go to World's End and then I'd go to the bar. You know, it was a lot later, it, a lot later night back then than mm-hmm. it is now, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, on Wednesdays at World's End, and this is one of my happiest memories, a bunch of guys, a bunch of friends of mine, would sit at the front table and we'd call it the bridge table, call it uh, bridge night, and uh, there weren't any cards involved, just the bridge bridge card, bridge, okay. bridge table. And so, uh, and it grew and grew, and Wednesday night at World's End grew into a major thing. It was, and it was just packed every Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, it was a place with, it finally politicians want to be there to meet the gay community. Okay. And, uh, and I remember when I was uh, working for Mayor Purcell before he became, he was a candidate, and I took him to World's End. And uh, 
he wasn't all that surprised at what he saw coming through the door. But when they saw him coming through the door, jaws just dropped. They'd never seen a politician at a gay bar. How did everyone react to that? Uh, mouths were just open. Duh. Were they accepting of him? Did they, oh, did they gosh, appreciate yeah. him showing up? Well, they were. Well, they, he was soliciting their votes, of course. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but they were amazed to see him. It was, he thinks it's still one of the best things he ever did. Would you say that was a turning point? I, I think it was. I think politically it was. Mm-hmm. I think it was politically and in a way just uh, culturally it was too. But it was a very important moment, I think. And then all the other candidates wanted to go there too. I'd say, well, I'm not working for you. <laughs> you can get there on your own. That's right. But uh, it, uh, it was a it was a, a wonderful place, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually, I don't know exactly why it went away, but it, you know, restaurants come and go. Yeah, and that's what's happening here. If you <laughs> yeah. if, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host Khalil Ekalona. We're talking this hour about support groups and gathering spaces for the LGBTQ community in our city. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now, Amo, you said that your event dress code is all about fashion. I got to ask you this: drag is a very vital part of fashion culture. I mean, some of the most ornate costumes and um, fits, as the kids say, I've seen have been at drag shows. The state's proposed these drag restrictions. They've been temporarily blocked. But tell me, has that changed anything for you and how you're approaching dress code? Well, the interesting thing about dress code is that it really reveals to us as a community how ridiculous these drag bands really are. We have people showing up in these exaggerated looks um, and it makes you really question where does a look start and um, or a look end and drag begin. Um, For us, we obviously really prioritize the safety of our community, but we also prioritize compensating our performers. So we are having a lot of critical, my um, co founder and um, co-coordinator and I, Jacob Moore, are having a lot of conversations about how we can both maintain the safety of the space and also make sure that we're still allowed to compensate our performers for the work that they do. What considerations are you taking in when it in, in terms of making the space safe for the performers and all the patrons and people who come to watch? Well, a lot of that is the venues that we're choosing. We're In the past, we have... Um, worked in a lot of really exciting warehouse spaces. We've worked in hotels. Um, Now we're looking into more private event spaces so that we have more control over the way that the event um, functions and also who is allowed in and out. Um, We're also looking at tightening the numbers, unfortunately, and focusing our ticket sales exclusively online so that we have a better chance at vetting the people who Um, come through our doors. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, our goal, as I said, is to protect the safety of our patrons and our performers. So we're doing everything in our power to make sure that we can do that. All right. Now, switching up from dressing up to undressing, Forrest, you offer a paint your nudes class, right? I don't personally offer a paint your nudes class, but Samantha Zaruba is an amazing artist here in town. Um, And 
she does paint your nudes. It's amazing. We collaborated with them last November, um, and it was basically just to create a safe space for queer bodies to embrace themselves and, you know, some of the differences that might be special to our community. Um, it was a really awesome night, and I'm sure there will be many more events like that. I know she does events really regularly, and I encourage anyone who's listening to to research Paint Your Nudes. It's great. Uh, we've also collaborated with TransAid Nashville. Um, back last fall, we wrote 214 letters of support to staff and clients at the Vanderbilt Clinic, and um, we've collaborated with the mayor's office, tons of different collabs last year that were amazing. Most recently, Touch Grass Nash here in town. So lots going on. So, so talk to me about what that means to, I mean, you, you started this event not too long ago mm -hmm. for you know, people, for you, because you were lonely. Yeah. And now you're out here coordinating with the mayor's office. You're coordinating with organizations all over the city. What? How do you feel? What does that mean to you? It's really cool to be recognized by other people in the community, and I've been fortunate enough that a lot of organizations have wanted to work with me, which is a complete honor. Um, for about 50% of the opportunities that I've had, they've come to my door, and I've just been a yes man, you know? Mm. I think the more spaces and opportunities we have to gather, the better. Um, and so for anyone that's been interested, I've just said, yeah, what can we do? Color Query is incredibly versatile and can pretty much happen anywhere at any time. Um, so I'll take any excuse. We collaborated with the Zeitgeist Art Gallery and Femme Art Gallery last year. Um, they were throwing exhibitions highlighting queer artists, um, and there was so much talent there. And so we had an event where we practiced 3D um, artwork, you know, taking a canvas, a very 2D surface, and playing with that structure. And there, were, there's just been so many fun and creative opportunities to collaborate. What does that tell you about the city? And, and the fact that here we have the state with these proposed laws, some mm -hmm. feel are draconian and backwards, but the city and organizations are reaching out to you. Well, that's that's the thing is what you see online, it, it can all be really negative and focus on the bad. But on the ground, there's a lot of really heartful people that want to connect and want to create these spaces and they understand how important it is. Mm. Um, so I think it says amazing things about Nashville. I haven't had any struggles communicating the desires of Color Query to make art and make friends. Everybody's been incredibly fruitful with opportunities and volunteering their efforts, making sure that we have art supplies. The community supplies all of our food, our drinks, our paint supplies, our collage supplies. Mm -hmm. We collaborate and work together. Turnip Green Creative Reuse is a great resource for getting recycled art materials. So, you know, you're considering your carbon footprint and e-waste at the same time. Um, we're all working together to just make Nashville a little bit of a better place, and that's the energy that I, I think is being created. Now, now, John, we're seeing all of these new events and these new organizations mm -hmm. pop up. How would you say the scene has changed for the better over the years? Well, I, I will say a way that I think the community has changed, maybe not for the best for me, because the bars have basically gone away. Everybody's on their cell phones and stuff now. So it's hard to go out and meet somebody and make them your friends. It's not like it used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope that the community has its act together. And I love all these organizations. But I think we have to remember that under all this duress we're going through now, all that's being subjected on us, we... Uh, it's time for us to just stick together and be a stronger community than we've been before. 
Uh, it's sort of like the AIDS crisis back again. We, it's a terror that brought us together, and that terror brings us together now, I mm -hmm. think. Now, you were talking about, you know, the community getting their act together. You're an older member of the community. Yeah. Do you feel like there is a good connection between younger members of the LGBTQ community and the older generation? No, I don't. I really don't. What can be done to enhance, improve, and fortify that relationship? Well, I would hope that maybe there could be some sort of mentoring program out there. I wish that older guys would be interested in having contact with younger gay guys. Everybody think, oh, that's something creepy going on. It may be. It's not creepy on my part. And that younger guys might have an interest. And younger women would have relationships with older women. It's not, it's not a sexual thing particularly. It's just valuing each side, valuing the other side's knowledge, the energy the younger people bring, and the knowledge that older people bring. Mm -hmm. The... Uh, I wish that we were tighter now, but no, I don't see it at all. I really don't. All right. Hopefully. I hate to be depressing, but that's where I am about it. I agree. Uh, yeah. I, I do agree, actually. It, and it's not just in the social spaces. It's in the dating spaces. I mean, there is a disconnect and kind of an ageism in the LGBT community. Um, and I think the best thing that we could do is remind ourselves that these older LGBT people have had experiences that are really important and there's so much we can learn. I, I agree a mentorship program or something would be really cool because there are even younger people like me who love the idea of connecting with an older LGBT person and seeing, you know, what conversations can be had together. Well, when, when I was a younger gay guy, there really was this sort of life in which older gay guys would meet younger gay guys, and they would sort of train us how to be gay, really. Mm. And it really did exist back then. I don't think it exists anymore. Amo, would you like to weigh in? Yeah, I, it's actually very sad to hear this specifically coming from um, members of the gay community, because as a member of the trans community here in Nashville, we have such a healthy network of, of mentorship and camaraderie. And I wonder how much of that is... Um, is based in the fact that, you know, our community alongside the queer community, or I guess within the queer community is really in survival mode right now. We, we've had to band together to access resources and to navigate new legislation. So um, it makes me sad to hear that, um, that that experience is not being mirrored in, in other communities adjacent to ours because it has been um, such a healing and, and special experience for me to be mentored by older trans women here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to end it there. I want to thank my guests, John Bridges, Amo Elizabeth, and Forrest Douglas for being with us today. Really appreciate this conversation. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how people are finding community through shared interests. Where do you find queer community? Just tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. To say that it's been a tough time to be queer in Nashville and Tennessee is an understatement. So 
Where do our LGBTQ communities turn to find community and support these days? Well, there's one place we know for sure, and that's, you guessed it, the Lipstick Lounge. I love that place. Now, if you know where to go, you, you, you now, if you know, you just go there, and it's not just a bar for queer folks, but it is one night a week. It's dedicated to featuring queer musicians. Our technical director, Michaela Elias, went on a recent Tuesday night to see what the Rainbow Collective is all about. It's a rainy Tuesday night, but that hasn't kept dozens from showing up tonight. The Rainbow Collective is the brainchild of Emily Dryberg and her sister, Jamie. Basically, it's an exclusive showcase of some of Nashville's LGBTQ musicians every Tuesday. We're coming up on a thousand performers that have come through our stages, some very significant, some people who just, this is the only space they have to play. Um, and it's just been like, honestly, like overwhelmingly, like I can't even process how amazing it is. I'm just They've been doing this showcase for a minute, but it's been about a year and a half since they brought it here to Lipstick. And that move has really helped draw in more of the community. One of the reasons I love playing the rainbow shows so much here at Lipstick Lounge is just that I so rarely get to interact with any type of queer community. I have found an incredible community. As I said again, all flavors, sizes, everything that you can imagine in this Experiencing world. music was being with my friends, was being around people who kind of all felt like misfits. The community aspect of music making is everything. Those were singer-songwriters Brian Ruby, Cindy Alter, and Liv Lombardi. And especially right now in our city and state, Fostering that feeling of security for this community means a lot. There seems like there's a lot more on the line, a lot more at stake, and that it's even more important to find people that can really lift you up. That's Grammy-nominated artist Olivia Rudine, and fellow artist Aton Snyder says he agrees. In the way Nashville works, you kind of need each other to all kind of go up together. Um, and especially something like this is really like, it, feel, it feels very communal in a lot of ways. This is exactly what Jamie Dryberg and her sister were going for with this showcase. They wanted to give queer musicians a space. And what better place than the lesbian church that is Lipstick Lounge, right? We're happy to be here. I love it. I look forward to every Tuesday. I've made so many great friends. I had a few friends who are artists who recently got engaged and met here, and I'm like, that's what, that's what we're here for, right? I kind of feel like if, if somebody isn't already creating those spaces, why not just create them? One more time. My next guests provide safe spaces for connection like this, too. Tessa Loftus is the coordinator of Queer Book Club, and Ashley Espinoza helps run the group Outdoor Queers. Tessa, Ashley, thanks for being here. Welcome to yeah. This Is Nashville. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. This is really great. You know, your groups, they're kind of niche and for and specific for folks who, you know, love an activity, but when they want to share that and that love with people kind of like them, Tessa, tell me, why did you start Queer Book Club? So growing up, I was always an avid reader. And I think that I always found 
um, kind of companionship through books. Um, and I kind of wanted to bring that idea into the queer community and be able to make friends who are also readers and who kind of want to um, read about those queer experiences through history and read books by queer authors and support them. Um, so I think that it has been really fruitful and really amazing uh, to be able to read about other people's queer experiences and kind of get outside of ourselves and what's happening in our lives. Well, tell us, what, what what were the first few meetings like? The first few meetings were just at my house. It was um, mostly my good friends and then a couple people found out about it through them. So kind of just friends of friends. Um, and then it quickly snowballed from there. Well, now what, what kind of books do you all read together? We've read everything. I started with um, Audre Lorde. So we kind of started with more uh, serious queer theory type of things. Um, but lately I've been focusing more on queer joy and just really dumb rom-coms, uh, just fun books. And I think that's probably what I'm going to focus on, you know, for the next few months while life is so hard right now. <laughs> I understand that. Now, Ashley, I understand that you moved to Nashville during the pandemic. What was it like for you to find community the first year you were here? Um, I think it was, it was really hard at in the beginning. I actually moved through um, a random coincidence. Um, I got fired, obviously. Um, COVID was happening. I downloaded TikTok because that's what everybody was doing. Mm. And I found the queer community on TikTok, which introduced me to like everybody was having those like Zoom meetings and there was like a queer one. And I went on it all the time and I met like 20 people who we became super close. We talked literally every single day. We'd like fall asleep and we'd all just be on Zoom. We'd have like parties and some people lived in like Australia and like Tennessee, like Germany, like all these different places. And one of the um, people who lived in Tennessee and they were like, you should come to Tennessee. So a couple of us actually went to Tennessee and we like stayed at their house. I was there for a whole month mm -hmm. and I was like, I, I'm just going to move to Tennessee. Like I'm from Florida. I like lived there most of my life. I definitely wanted a new change and nothing was really stopping me. So I just moved here. So I knew a couple of people when I moved to Nashville, but um, after that, it was just like, I found community, like there's a group on Facebook and I of course went to Lipstick and met some friends at Lipstick and we've been friends ever since. So just like finding community and just like looking at community groups that I could like connect to other people to meet like mutual friends and stuff. Okay, so tell me like, you got out here, you, you took this chance, you moved to Nashville, you started meeting some people in the community. When did you get the first get the idea to start, you know, Outdoorsy Queers, this outdoors group for queer folks? So I have um, another person who runs this group. Her name is Sarah, and I met her a little after I moved here, and she also runs another queer group as well. So I started climbing last year, and I've met a lot of people through climbing. So I, would, I had like a little group. Um, of climbers that we would like make plans and do all this stuff. And when I found out that Sarah had been climbing, I reached out to her and I was like, you should come climbing with us. And she was like, we should start an outdoorsy group. And I was like, I'm definitely down to do that. So she made a post on her Instagram and was like, who wants to be involved in this? And of mm -hmm. course I reached out to her and 
we all love doing outdoor things like picnics and like going on trails. So we wanted to create a group um, that we could all do that within the community. So already finding a small community has created this opportunity for you to make more, big, larger communities. Yes, I've definitely made a lot of friends and a lot of connections like within doing just like a couple of things with Outdoorsy Queers. Mm-hmm. Now, my next guest has been helping people find community on two wheels. <laughs> Al Maddox is the founder of the bike group Queer Spokes. Al, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what is Queer, Sp- Queer Spokes? How did it start? Yeah, so I work at the Oasis Bike Workshop, which is um, one of over 20 programs housed in the Oasis Center, which has been around for a long time. Uh, I started working there about a year ago. I was part-time, and then I moved into a full-time role in November, which gave me a lot more freedom to kind of explore opportunities for more programming. So I started this programming in November. We have just a fully stocked bike workshop that I wanted to make sure that everyone had access to. And by everyone, I mean my friends Mm. and all of my friends are gay. Have you ever, have you ever worked in bike shops before? Literally no. Um, so before this job, uh, I met Dan, who's my manager and the founder of the bike workshop. And he was like, you know what? You're, you're a good guy. We're gonna we're gonna hire you on, and we're gonna train you on the job. Okay. Uh, so I was actually trained through uh, their adult workshop, and then YouTube, like every good bike mechanic. The University of YouTube helps yeah. all of us in yeah. so many things. So you know, tell me about it. Like, do you gather people to take rides on the bikes, or is it you just fixing them up? So this started. There are a lot of rides in town, and a lot of people who do fun rides and. Queer groups that do rides are very welcoming groups as well. So I I wanted to focus on specifically giving people access to these expensive tools. So it's a huge uh, input on the capital side of being able to afford these tools and people uh, don't have access to them. Going to a bike shop is expensive. So just trying to make it as accessible as possible while also um, having it in, in community and making sure that people feel welcome mm. to approach this even with no experience. What have people told you about what it means to them to be a yeah. part of this group? Um, I think what is very cool and why it was important for me to start this as well was because I've been working uh, previously in a lot of male-dominated fields and cycling and mechanics in general uh, are viewed as one of those. And being able to come into a group where um, kind of that first topic isn't ever like, oh, what are you? As a lot of queer people face coming into Mm. um, straight cis spaces and having that not be a hurdle, coming in and being like, cool, that's your name. Those are your pronouns. Let's look at your bike. Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone having kind of like that shared experience that doesn't need to be the focus of every conversation that we're having together. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about how our queer communities are finding support with Tessa Loftus, Ashley Espinoza, and Al Maddox. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. Now, you know, you all have created these spaces for people who want to find new friends. Tessa, how can someone who's new to the city, find folks with similar interests? Um, I think there are a lot of ways. I think finding groups just like this um, is definitely incredible. I think that um, a lot of people have found my group just through Instagram. Um, and yeah, I think 
social media has definitely been a blessing as far as finding community, even though it can sometimes not be the best thing. <laughs> hmm. um, what do you I mean? I think it, the toxicity. Sorry, what was that? You, you yeah, said, it can hmm. be very toxic. Um, and I think that it is very easy to only look at all of the negative news and everything that's happening on social media. Um, but I definitely think that it's a great way to find people with similar interests. How, how do you, how do you all block that out? You know, this toxicity that is rampant in social media and seems like in all corners of social media, you know, Ashley, do you have a kind of a no phone policy? I mean, you are all out there hiking anyway. You don't want to be on your phone in the first place, right? No. Yeah. We don't have a no phone policy. We just kind of just like, I mean, obviously like we're on our phones. We're all like, com like communicating with each other's and all that stuff. But, um, as long as we're like together and like, like talking about things that we enjoy talking about and just like being together as a community, I think that like sometimes overturns like what's actually happening sometimes. Do people ever feel worried or anxious about going out on nature adventures by themselves? Oh, for sure. There's so many possibilities of things that can happen, which is why we have brought it to where we all do it together, especially like going on trails by yourself. If you're unsure of like if it's a really long trail, like are people going to be there? And like you just never really know what's going to happen sometimes. Like so it's really important to like, you know, some people like bring their dogs, bring a friend, just like to have community and be together in a huge group is something that's really important. Mm -hmm. now, now, Tessa, tell us, tell us, why is it so important to you to help? provide this access to other people who may be looking for community? I kind of like to think of my group as a queer group for introverts. Um, mm. And so I think it's kind of this niche um, that I've carved out in a way. Um, I think it's really important for queer people who maybe don't want to go to the bigger events um, and go dancing or go um to pride or, you know, other things like that, that are very important, but can sometimes be a little bit draining if you're more of an introvert. Um, so I think creating more niche interest groups for this community is allowing more people to become a part of it. Now, Al, you know, we were talking earlier before the break about mm -hmm. the nightlife and how so many of the events kind of focused and featured around that. But every what everyone else here is doing is these are like healthy events. <laughs> you're feeding your mind by reading. You're going out experiencing nature by hiking. And you're e actually getting exercise and training your mind by with your bike group. How important is it to have a delineation of those specific things, things that are away from partying and alcohol and the consumption of substances to express oneself? Yeah, I think specifically with queer spokes, um, it was just kind of happenstance that there is that line between these two activities. I personally, I mean, there's so many queer events during the week that I always want to go to. Um, but I don't want to stay out until 10 p.m. or later. Um, so I'm happy to have uh, and hold a space that people can just come right after work, kind of hang out, decompress and enjoy each other's company and also create um, some transferable skills. I, I always say on our posts, you know, bring a bike or don't, you know, just come and hang out and see what everyone's doing, catch up with folks, you know, or um 
you know, tinkering and problem solving is always something that can go a long way. What, okay, so what would you say to somebody? What do you want to say to your fellow queer community members Mm -hmm. who might be listening out there right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that creating these sustainable practices, these groups that can go a really long way, you're holding each other accountable for being there for one another. And I think that that's really important. What can people, let me, let me ask this of, 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 of you, Ashley, what can people who aren't LGBTQ, what can they learn by having others come and understand and accept them? I think that they um, can learn probably like, we of course like accept allies and all this stuff too. I think they learn about like our community and like what we're going through and like what we're fighting for and like what's actually going on in the real world versus like they may not know too many things or like they may not know about pronouns or like transitioning and all that stuff and like we can teach them and show them and like what's actually going on and they can they're like I have questions like what can you do to help we're there to show them um, what they can do to help their community now you know, uh, Tessa, John Bridges earlier, he's, he spoke at the end of our conversation. We talked about the generation gap there. What can be done to kind of close this generation gap? We got about 30 seconds left. <laughs> um, I honestly think that's a great idea. And I actually having a book club has uh, really provided a space for older members of the LGBTQ to come. I've had uh, people bring their mom. Um, I've had, you know, people bring um, older members of the community or just allies who wouldn't want to go out clubbing until 2 a.m., but love book clubs. Um, So I think creating spaces like that that aren't necessarily focused on partying and nightlife, um, I think that will really help bridge that gap. I want to thank all of my guests for joining us. Al Maddox, the founder of Queer Spokes, Tessa Loftus, the coordinator of Queer Book Club, and Ashley Espinoza, who's with Outdoorsy Queers. Again, thank you all for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll learn about the experiences of refugee women who resettle here in Middle Tennessee. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director and our lead producer today. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Paige Flager and Sarah Kalise. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This Is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>